I'm Jenny Galuzzo, co-founder of The Second Shift. Welcome to our podcast where we talk all things women, work, and well-being, how they intersect, our competing forces, and how to create and maintain personal and professional alignment in your life. Let's do this. Leeson Stromberg is somebody who Gina and I have known through doing The Second Shift for the last 10 years. She wrote a book back in the day in 2016 when we had first started The Second Shift called Work, Pause, Thrive. And it was all about how women can and need opportunity to be able to step out of the workforce, take a pause in their career, and if they want to come back in And we were like, oh my God, this woman is talking our talk, speaking our language. This is what we've created a business model for, provide jobs for those women so that they can come in, come out and keep working during the pause because it was very hard at that time and remains hard to come back into the workforce if you've taken an extended period of time out. And now she's written a new book. 10 years later, called Intentional Power. She's co-written it with Corey Jones and Jeanne Nichols, with whom she teaches at Stanford, a course in leadership. She's also a consultant on culture, innovation, and leadership transformation. So Leeson knows a lot about what's going on in the workforce now, what's working structurally, what's working for leaders and what's not working. And she's created a real framework that she teaches leaders in her class and in her consultancy, and she's bringing it to us today. And it's really about a few things, humility, empathy, resiliency, how to bring the things that are important to us and have been shown to be effective in leadership And to bring it to this modern clunky place in the workforce where people want a lot of things and we don't have a workforce structure that is able to adapt as quickly as the culture and the desires of employees have gotten. So I don't know if that actually made any sense, but I I think you know what I mean. It's that we're in this like dissonance and this friction today where employees and culture want want something very specific and they want the workplace to look like their needs and themselves. They want to see themselves. They want the opportunity, but they also want to work from home and they want a specific type of leadership and they want a specific type of corporate responsibility and purpose. And we have this old clunky workplace that we're trying to work with and retool and it doesn't seem to be happening in the speed with which our employees would like. So how do we create a leadership model for the future? And that's what Leeson has done. Doing this work and being part of this journey with Leeson has been remarkable. It's really cool to look back and to see her as this marker because she was there at the beginning and now here we are 10 years later. So having this conversation was really fun and in a way to like really put in perspective how much has changed how much we've been able to affect that change and and the world and the culture just doesn't always feel that way because change takes time, but it feels good to have this conversation and to see where we are from where we began. 
Leeson, I love talking to you because when Gina and I started the second shift, we had no idea what we were doing. We had an idea that this was something that needed to happen because it was something that we needed it to happen for our own lives and our friends. And then we met you right at the beginning. Uh, you had written an amazing book called Work, Pause, Thrive. And when that came out and we were like, oh, somebody else is paying attention and pulling this data together. And like, yeah, this is actually a thing. And we didn't even know that it was a yeah, thing. So you validated our intuition and also our work. And so I've, we've always enjoyed you, your career, and we thank oh, you. Oh, well, you, you know, vice versa. Right back at you, sister. Because, you know, I, as I shared with you before, you know, I wrote Work, Pause, Thrive to understand for myself what's happening here. You know, I think for my generation, our generation of women, we came out of, a, out of college, went into the workforce and thought the world was our oyster and suddenly started hitting these roadblocks, right? Oh my gosh, this is, this is not working. This is not working. And in my case, and in so many other cases of women I spoke to, we thought it was our problem. Oh, something I'm doing differently, something I'm doing wrong. Uh, it's not the system. It's, you know, and then you realize, oh no, we're operating within systems. And these systems can actually, we can navigate them we can change them, but we have to understand them to actually not think it's just our problem and also so that we can collectively make change. So for me, writing Work, Pause, Thrive and having, you know, companies like you, people like you out there making the change, doing the work that I was saying, there's another way of doing it. Gift, true gift. In the 10 years, almost 10 years, between when you wrote that book and when we met and today where you've written your second mm. book, Intentional mm. Power, a lot of things have happened. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> the work, the world has changed for the better in a lot of ways, maybe not as fast or in the ways that we hoped. What do you see as the major changes that have happened over the course of the past in between books? It's such a great question. And I actually am grateful for you asking it because I've been thinking a lot about this. What has changed and what hasn't? Here's a couple of things that I'm seeing systemically that's changed. We were told we couldn't have a work from anywhere mindset or a work from anywhere possibility. COVID proved that that could happen in about two weeks, <laughs> literally two weeks. We were able to like, companies were able to shift on point and be productive and navigate all of those things. So we were able to prove that we have A, the technology, the capacity to do that, to do all this, to actually allow and enable and empower people to be, have what I call in my book, time mastery, right? We want the ability to have mastery of our time we're going to work like crazy for you. Just let me do it in a way that works for me because I promise you I'll do it really well. That was the theme I kept hearing in the book. And I think COVID, the work from anywhere mindset, kind of the tools that we have right now are enabling all of that. What's not enabling all of it or what's kind of what we're hitting up against is traditional or, or, or legacy mindsets, traditional views by leaders. And by the way, I would really want to make sure we're clear. When I talk about leadership, I don't think leadership is a level or a title. I think leadership is a mindset because leaders have influence at every level. And so I just want to lay that out there. But anyways, the most important thing I was seeing is leaders in the traditional sense, those who are running companies, those who are in you know managerial senior level positions, they're really struggling with how do you navigate that kind of empowering employees and creating environments where people can have time mastery, location mastery, and still get the job done in the way that I'm familiar, right? I'm familiar with having 
Jenny right next to me and we got things done this way and this is how it happened. And, you know, and, and it's a tool. It was, it was what allowed me to be successful, let's just say, right? But we need new tools. I call them power skills, new skills. And those new skills are things that modern leaders need to learn to be successful. And a lot of the work I was seeing is that the leaders, again, using the traditional term of leaders being the leaders in the senior level of, of the company, they're struggling with. They're really having a hard time navigating all this. So that was why we, I wrote or co-wrote, we co-wrote this second book because we wanted that second roadmap. Okay, here it is for women. How do you navigate work and family? And by the way, we're having a huge group of men read Work, Pause, Thrive. I love that it's having this renaissance with millennial men. And intentional power is really for how do we do this in the workplace every single day in today's chaotic, complex times. It's funny. It's like bookends it is. in some ways, because we started this conversation in this journey at the beginning where we, we, I'm saying like we were in the same dialogue then and now where it was like, you know, we can fight for flexibility. We can fight for inclusivity. We can fight for equality. We can fight for remote work pay equity, uh, hybrid flexible schedules, all of these things that we have highlighted over the years as like the roots of what people need. And now I look back and I'm like, okay, so now we're kind of in that place, mm-hmm. right? We've unearthed all this over the past 10 years and companies have tried to address it in fits and starts. And a lot of it was very reactive in the mm-hmm. moment. And now here we are where it's become what people want. And in many cases, the norm, now we, it's playing catch up. I love what you just said. It's become the norm and leaders are playing catch up. And I think that's exactly yeah. right. We have to come with a whole new mindset about how do we work? How do we succeed? How do we value what employees do and what our colleagues do? And what do I do to show up as a modern leader? And I think Shifting that paradigm a little bit to empower ourselves to know that each of us have power and we can make choices around that power. To me, that is the exciting kind of breakthrough. It's new. We're not reacting. We're actually empowered to ask for different things, to to support, to help the company, to help and make an impact in the greater world. And so, yes, bookends is a perfect way of saying it, but we're not done yet. Clearly, more work to be done. (laughs) I was going to say, what are the tools that they need? So you've created an entire book, a a system. This is what you do as a consultant through your consultancy and you teach leadership at Stanford. So what do they do now? Because that is not an area where I really understand the, (laughs) I understand. So I appreciate you putting the thought and the process together because, you know, it feels very like everyone's unhappy. Everyone wants something and everyone doesn't really feel happy with the outcome. So it's really fascinating. Let let me start with change. We want change to happen immediately. We just do. We want immediate gratification. Change takes time. And I'm going to give you a personal anecdote. When I was 16 years old, a teacher in my high school, uh, this is back in the 70s, way back in the 70s, teacher in my high school was murdered because he was gay. I have a gay son who's dating a wonderful man. They've been together for a very long time. My incredible son doesn't hide that he's gay, is very proud of being gay, brings his, you know, truth to the workplace, and is probably going to marry this wonderful man, fingers crossed, because we love him. 
Point being, it's taken 30 plus years to make that happen. And I'm not even sure, you know, back in the day, if I even conceived that that was possible, that that was even going to be a possibility. But change happens. And it's very hard in the moment to recognize that change is happening right now. We are changing right now. And we're just frustrated because we want it to be better immediately. And sadly, oftentimes it just takes a marathon, not a sprint, and knowing that it's a marathon. So that's one thing I want to kind of give all of us a chance to take a deep breath. We live in an immediate world. We're living in an immediate gratification world. And we, this is not, and, and change is not immediate. No, way. thank you, Denny. No. It just doesn't. It just doesn't yes. work that way. And And sometimes I think back and I'm like, it's hard. Sorry, we're getting off tangent. It's all here, good. It's fine. It's hard when you're working on something and you want something day to day to see from like the bigger picture, mm. how much has changed. And I feel that way even, and I'm sure you do too, like doing this as the mm-hmm. work because you're in it and you're like, oh, nothing's changing. Oh, it's a slog and blah, blah, blah. And then it's only when you look back and you're like, wow, a lot of things have changed in 10 years. Yes. Yes. It doesn't necessarily feel like that from the inside. That's right. And I, and I actually want to also honor, you and I are two white women. And that brings a whole host of privilege. We are living with a certain measure of trauma of everything, et cetera. But I can tell you from the research we've done, we did a really phenomenal um, PowHer Redefined research. You can go to PowHerRedefined.com. We did that with with Billie Jean King um, Leadership Institute, an an amazing group of women at this organization called Information, um, focused on advancing women of color in corporate America. And the research glaring, like it was like, you cannot deny this. White women are struggling. It's challenging. It's hard. Oh my God, we want change. You know, we're exhausted. Women of color are traumatized. And I I think we have to acknowledge that. And so when you're dealing with trauma every day, the idea of even being part of change is exhausting. It's like, I can't even get out of bed pain. And I want to honor that first and just say, yes, change happens and it can be traumatic. And we have to honor that as well with our colleagues, with each other. So that's one thing I really want to say. But I also come from the mindset of let's also see change just happen and we can make change and we can show up and have conversations we didn't have 10 years ago and show up for those conversations and be willing to discuss these things. So So yes, change happens and change is different for all of us. And let's honor that. That's part of our responsibility and our using our power with intention is to understand and recognize that. That's when you ask about the the power skills, you know, going back to that, the number one first power skill is humility. And I mean humility in the humanity mindset, the humility of knowing that I don't have all the answers. My experience is distinctly different from your experience. We may have somewhat similar experiences because a black woman will have a very different set of experiences, but that humility of knowing, I don't know what you're going through. And I come to this conversation with, with curiosity and an opportunity to learn that growth mindset that you and I were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So that's a number one key, huge power skill that frankly isn't used as much as it could be today. So let's start there. You have a, a structure outlined mm-hmm which is, we call it hardy. Exactly right. Exactly right. Hardy. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's an acronym. Sure I love. Right. It's easy, right? It's an right. acronym. Yeah, it's great. But it's humility, empathy, inclusivity, accountability, transparency, and resiliency. 
amazing skills. All the things that I try very hard to lead with, to instill in my own children, to highlight. And a lot of these things are the way to be an authentically good person. Oh, it's just so true, showing up. Right? It's, it's like it's a parenting cue, right? Like here's what we can teach to parents or to children, you know, as parents and ourselves learn. Um, I had one, we te- as, I, as you mentioned, we teach our class at Stanford. <laughs> we had one great guy say, you know what? I'm trying hardy out on my marriage. It really works. <laughs> it was really wonderful. <laughs> it's like, okay, there you have it. Didn't think this was a marriage counseling tool, but go for it. <laughs> so. That also takes a lot of calmness, mm-hmm. self-awareness, mm-hmm. patience mm-hmm. for you to be a leader that has those yes. things. And in the workplace, when there's deadlines and there's money and you have a boss or you have you know, fun rate, it's not a place... I mean, I guess your family and your house and getting your kids out the door is, in, is also incredibly stressful. But you know, you don't think of the workplace with all of the pressure that's involved in it and everything on the line. How do you help people to go into that and to be able to be that person when you're stressed out and the person who's working for you is like, you know, I'm a delicate flower and here's my feelings and I don't want to work on Tuesday because I want to work from home, you know, (laughs) or these are the kinds of things that I sometimes hear that people are really frustrated with the current place that the world is where people are empowered to ask for what Mm -hmm. they want because we're telling people to go do that, right? Ask for what you want, what you need, show up as your whole self. And then when you're the manager of that person (laughs) to go into a Zen place where you're leading with Hardy is asking a lot for people who are not like (laughs) in deep therapy. Well, um, yes. And (laughs) let's start with, you know, the flower or whatever we're calling them, right? Delicate delicate flower. flower. So so that person needs to be hardy too, right? The concept of hardy is, let me back up. One of the things that I see happening in the most beautiful way is this movement towards understanding mental health and well-being, right? And we're seeing it in the workplace. When you do all the research about what are CHROs focusing on or people leaders focusing on, mental health comes up way at the top, right? They understand that this is a arguably perhaps a crisis. I would say it's been a crisis for a really, really, really long time, and we just haven't given the focus that it's needed. So we now have names for it. We have words for it. We, we're able to identify it. And, and I, I'm so impressed with my, my nieces and my nephews and my children who say, you know, I'm really struggling with my mental health. I didn't express that when I was, you know, rising up the ladder. I didn't say, you know, I really struggle with anxiety. I really struggle. I have ADHD or actually ADD. I didn't even have words or language to talk about that, right? The idea that I can now say those things and say, that's what I bring and that brings greatness and it also brings struggle and I'm naming it and I, you know, want to work with you. And just, if you see me behaving this way, just naming it is okay. You know, I'm not, upset if you see me behaving in a way that maybe it might be an ADD way or whatever it might be. So I actually like that we're able to, and and I encourage people to be able to name it, but I don't think it's okay. And I'm not comfortable with someone just saying, well, I just need all this and not realizing that what you need is not the end all, right? We are in community. We are by definition in community. Party is essentially about how do you use your power to make change? in the world. 
That's what it's about. How do you show up and do it each and every day? If it's all about you every day, you're not showing up as a hearty leader, right? You're not showing up to say, we're a community, we're a team, we have these obligations to our bosses, to our employees, or to, to their customers, to the world, to the planet. Like we have these obligations. How do we do this? And I think what I'm seeing, I had the biggest gift recently. A team from a large global tech firm has created a bunch of book groups around Hardy, around intentional power. And they're taking Hardy and trying to figure out how are we showing up? And the message back to me that these book groups are doing is really recognizing that as individuals, they've been focusing on their own needs and not really showing up to say, yes, my needs are important, but I'm in community. And how can I show up for the community at large? And whatever that community is, it might be my colleagues, it might be the planet. How can I make an impact? You know, all the research shows, all the research around mindfulness, all the research around Buddhism and all whatever, you know, East-West mind, mindfulness thinking says when you get out of your own head and start operating in a state of grace for the world at large, it brings benefits to all. So this is where we have to be, right? Be in that place. And you're right. It's hard as hell. And we're going to show up better one day and not so good the next. And that's the human condition. What are you hearing from leaders who are trying to incorporate this into their workplace? What are the, some of the struggles and what are some of the successes? Mm, I think it's fascinating. We're starting to see as more and more people sort of take, we have a hardyquotient.com. You can go and do your own self-assessment to see where you show up on the, the measures, right? The power skills, the six power skills. And what we're seeing, the data is revealing that if you're very high in empathy, sometimes people struggle with accountability. They're, they're struggling. So there's these kind of duality situations, right? If you're low in humility, you might not be very transparent or inclusive, for example. Like there's these connections we're starting to see. So what I love to do is understand where someone's strengths and, and areas of growth are, because that will pretty quickly tell me, huh, I bet this leader is struggling with this. And sure enough, as I start listening, I start hearing, gosh, you know, I, you know, I, I really feel for Jenny. She's got all this stuff at home, but you know, we're not getting the work done. How do you show up? How can you support? How can you as a leader show up and be more accountable and help Jenny be more accountable or Lisa be more accountable in that environment? So it's really understanding where your strengths and areas of growth are and understanding what those tools are to help you. And, and the book has tons of very practical, like, okay, you're in this situation. People aren't being accountable. Okay, here's five tips to do this. And I'm trying to get to very tactical. What does it show? What does it look like tomorrow kind of thing? So that's one answer. The other answer is, I think leaders are struggling. Leaders, again, the traditional definite leaders are struggling with the fundamental changes we're seeing, right? We're transitioning from shareholder capitalism, a focus on profits and bottom line to stakeholder capitalism. And we know that's been happening for the last decade. We've been seeing this happen. What does that mean, stakeholder Sure, thanks for asking. So Milton Friedman in the 1970s, he was a Nobel Prize winning economist. He came out and said, Look, the role of a corporation, the purpose of a corporation is to focus on delivering shareholder value, money to investors. That's the job. Everything else around that, that's extraneous. It's noise. It's something you don't want to focus on, which really brought us into that cost cutting. You know, let's not focus on taking care of our employees. Employees are actually a burden to the organization. It's really all of these things. It's, it's shifted into a kind of mindset. But the reality is, is 
we have a whole new vision of what the purpose of the corporation is. In fact, the business roundtable, the top 100 or 200 corporations in the United States that are global corporations, came out in 2019 and said, it's no longer shareholder value, it is stakeholder value. It is all of the different stakeholders that help your company be successful. That includes investors, that includes employees, that includes the people who live in the communities in which you operate. That includes the planet, right? It includes so many different things. It includes suppliers. Who is supplying you to, with the products that you need to get work done? Consumers, you know, it includes consumers. So if you start looking at all these different stakeholders and realizing that these stakeholders all have a point of view and all have a chance to help your company be successful, that changes the narrative completely. It changes the purpose of what a company does. And we know millennials, Gen Z are deeply driven by purpose and they want to align with those purposes. So if you're just about making money for yourself, you're going to fail. That is a recipe for failure. It's a lot of burden. It's a lot. It's harder. It's a lot lot. to be responsible to not just, Mm -hmm. you know, make money and hit your goals, but also for the mental well-being of of everyone around you and the planet. (laughs) That's a lot. That's a huge burden for anyone who wants to be in any sort of leadership to take on. And, you know, again, having empathy for them. (laughs) It's not, oh, you just said something so important, Jenny. You're absolutely right. It's probably more than leaders have been asked for for a very long time which is back to that question of why are leaders struggling or what are they struggling with? That additional demands, those additional requests, that is changing and is putting so much pressure on people at every level of the organization, but particularly our, you know, those who are in leadership positions, leadership roles. The thing that I keep going back to that I think is so important is for us to really look at resiliency and how do we show up with resiliency? So the number one recipe for building a resiliency is ding, 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 failing, (laughs) right? You can't be resilient if you don't fail because you have to learn what you've made mistakes in, what you've done. You have to go through that journey so that you can build your resilience. Because if you just operate, you you take a risk, you do it, doesn't work out, oh my God, you're like failing. What do you learn from that? You know, where do you go from there? You have to fail to succeed. That's literally the recipe for success. That's a recipe for resiliency. So resiliency really matters in this world, probably more than anything. What's the number one thing you hear from the companies that you're coaching Mm. that is a commonality Mm. in terms of like what they're looking at in the future and what they're struggling with? The number one thing they're struggling with is the very real, honest, authentic, important expectations that Gen Z and millennials bring into how they work and how they want to work. And the traditional way uh, that we've been operating as companies, like what we've been doing. And, And I think that's the number one struggle that companies are how to adapt to all this. And we start saying, oh, they're, you know, they're, you know, demanding too much, or they're, you know, never satisfied, or there's all these they, they, they things. And I keep saying, you know, they are you. In 2025, millennials and Gen Z make up 70, globally, 70% of the workforce. So we got to stop veying them and <laughs> start saying, this is what's expected. This is what we need to do. And this is how we have to show up. And that is, I think, the fundamentals, the challenge. It's like, how do we do this? How do we show up each and every day? 
Many thanks to Leeson Stromberg. Our interview got cut off the end, so I didn't get to record the part where I effusively thank her for being part of the second shift and for all the work that she does for working families, for workplace transformation, for culture. And I'm just really thrilled that I had the opportunity to interview her after knowing her for such a long time and being such a big fan. And uh, in the show notes, there'll be a lot of information that we talked about, that hearty quiz, the studies, her books. So if you want to learn more, there's the information. And again, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. For more, you can follow along at thesecondshift.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and help us make work work for you and for all women. 